Welcome to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast, where your hosts, Dr. Peter Bolden and Dr. Craig Spodak, help you go next level with your practice, leveraging the four pillars that make a practice bulletproof. Vision, building a dream team, marketing ninja, and financial freedom. Now, let's get into it. Hey, everybody. Wanted to repost this from an uh, interview I did with Chuck Blakeman. He recently has launched his own podcast, and many of you in dentistry know who he is. And if you don't, um, you should check him out. He runs Get Off the Treadmill Summits. Um, Chuck has more been of a serial entrepreneur, but is now in the space of dentistry with, um, I think, his the group, the Crankset group, works with a lot of uh, dental companies now, but teaching dentists to kind of get off the treadmill. Um, so it was it was fun. I enjoyed it. I loved how Chuck kept it uh, short and sweet. And we talked about a lot of things like, you know, the philosophy on kind of how to make mistakes and goal setting and results based systems. And it was it was uh, it was fun. So hope you enjoy this and uh, we'll talk to you later. Dr. Peter Bolton has been practicing dentistry for over 15 years and has built a very successful fee for service. Three location enterprise in Atlanta, Georgia, where he's raised his where he was raised his entire life. He knows smiles from the power to change lives. He's transformed more than 1,200 of them as one of the most uh, credentialed cosmetic dentists in the world. Recognized in the greater Atlanta area as the go-to dentist for high-end cosmetic procedures, Dr. Bolden is the dental professional of choice for celebrities, athletes, prominent community leaders, and commoners like me. Welcome, Dr. Bolden. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks, Chuck. Great to be on your show. You bet, man. Love to uh, uh, see how we're going to unfold this thing today. Today, we're going to talk about getting off the treadmill. We, uh, we do that a lot in our, uh, in our area of uh, expertise. We want to get those dentists to figure out how to get a, a great business and have a life, too. It's a both and. Why does it have to be one or the other? I think that's one of the big lies. So it's not – I want before we get you started, I want to just lay the premise quick that uh, dentists, a lot of times when we talk about this stuff, they automatically assume that I want them to stop. I don't know why, but they, want, they think I want them to stop practicing dentistry and get a tie and run a business. Right. It's not about leaving the operatory. If that's what you want to do, if you want to run the business, do that. If you want to stay in the operatory, do that. This is not about getting off the treadmill. Is not about uh, doing something you don't want to do. It's about freedom. It's just the opposite, the ability to choose what to do with my time and my money. So uh, we want you, do you, you know, the question is, do you get to choose to do dentistry or do you have to do dentistry? Do you choose to run the business or do you choose to be in the, the uh, chair? It's up to you. So I'd like to get you started on this by just giving you an opportunity to share a little bit about how you got into this. Tell, you how, tell us how you learned the business side of dentistry, why you wanted to even get into that, and let's go from there. Yeah, so, okay, so a little, the genesis of kind of where I am now and how I, uh, how I, metaphorically speaking, got off the treadmill was really because, Chuck, I found out that, like, my highest and best use was was really focusing on kind of growing my business. I remember reading the E Myth Revisited uh-huh. and thinking to myself, like, and, you know, a light bulb went off. And a lot of the business applications, even as a young young boy, I was you know buying and selling dirt bikes and flipping them. And you know, I had my own pressure washing company. So the business applications of stuff has always kind of appealed to me. And I didn't realize that that dentistry could be the case until I started thinking, wait, there's there's no limits on what we can do. And, and so, you know, I've, I've told this story before on, on 
Craig and I's podcast that really I was forced at a necessity to become an expert in things like marketing, you know, and, you know, running a business lean and mean because I started a fee for service practice from scratch in 2004 wow. when everyone said, You're this crazy. is a suicide mission. Do not do this. And, and not to mention that I actually had to go about 10 miles outside because I was on a pretty heavy non-compete from a practice that I was working on previously. I was an associate <laughs> and it wasn't actually the most desirable area. It was 10, you know, and so it, um, you know, so I think fear put a lot of, of uh, motivation behind me. Right. And, yeah. but I knew that, that because I was younger at the time, I didn't have a wife or children. I said, heck, you know what? Let's burn the boats, burn the boats and, and let's do it. And, um, and so I, I tell people that I would, you know, I would do a full clinical day and then I would come home again, no wife or kids. I would come home, get, eat some breakfast, eat some breakfast, eat some dinner, sometimes breakfast, right? And sometimes <laughs> breakfast and then go back to the computer and watch YouTube videos and, and learn the methodology. And back then marketing was way different than it is now, but I would basically make myself a student for the next five, six hours in the evening. And and then step and repeat, step and repeat and do that, you know, and finally put my head above water years later and was like, oh, this is, this is working and I really like it. So that's kind of the, uh, the quick overview, 30,000 so foot view. What I'm hearing, and I just want to make this, I want to always apply this stuff so people can walk off with things. What I'm hearing is you didn't just go out and get a book or a, or a training course on marketing, fill yourself up and go do it. You were doing something every day, then you were going home and learning something, you were coming back and applying it, figuring out how it worked, tweaking it, working it out as you go. This was a work in progress. You didn't all of a sudden just blossom into an awesome dental marketer overnight. Uh, exactly. That's exactly the, the truth. You know, I, number one, I had a test kitchen, right? And so I would learn stuff, apply it and, 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 and just continually be obsessed with innovation, whether, you know, no matter how big or small. And, and I, you know, honestly, Chuck, I've never really been one who's been afraid of making mistakes. And I think that's maybe been a, uh, a curse and a blessing. <laughs> And, but you know, but I do think that, that mistakes are really accelerated learning because sometimes those mistakes are really painful and they can teach you quick lessons yep. fast. Um, and you know, like who wants to live their life on the sidelines either and being safe, like that's no fun either. So I really wasn't afraid to make a lot of mistakes. And honestly, I've wasted a ton of money in my career on stuff that, you know, in hindsight was a really idiotic thing to do. But like, like you said, I didn't have a book or a roadmap for someone to tell me who to do it. I mean, how to do it uh, but, the precise way. But I also hear it in your voice and in the way you're talking. And, and I know you well enough that you didn't waste that money. I mean, yes, you did. It's gone. But it was a lesson. You learned right. from it. And I have a friend, uh, uh, Alan Weingarten, who taught me this years ago. Uh, I don't make mistakes. I just have seminars. <laughs> <laughs> with yourself yes <laughs> and that's great you know i don't I, and so he says i try and keep my seminars as inexpensive and short as possible mm -hmm. and i try never to repeat a seminar and i thought that's brilliant you know let's not beat ourselves up for this stuff you had some expensive long seminars you had some yeah. short ones you know but if we if we learn from them then they're seminars if we don't then they're mistakes mm -hmm. and, and and i think that's been part of your magic uh, we say this all the time, planning doesn't create movement. Movement creates the plan. And that's what I hear in just the, in what you've said already was I was moving. I was getting stuff done. I took a risk. I was a little bit scared, but I got out there and I did stuff. And it was the doing of the stuff that led you to the better stuff. Exactly. Exactly. 
I mean, that's yeah. it in a nutshell. Yeah. So in your, in getting to this idea of getting to, to uh, getting off the treadmill, one of the things you guys talk about, you, you uh, and Craig Spodak wrote your book, uh, the, uh, uh, the bulletproof, the bulletproof yeah, practice. Yeah. I, I keep thinking about the, the subtitle is, you know, your, your epic practice starts now. Yeah. Uh, but bull, the bulletproof practice, you talk about the idea of systems and processes and having a passion for that. It's, that's different than, well, we got to do this crap. But, you know, you talk about having a passion for systems and processes. What did you see that motivated you to learn this discipline of, of systems and processes and require that your practice run that way? Yeah, I think that success kind of leads clues, right? And so I, I recognize that like the more I systematize my processes, the more, you know, I, I almost had to because of sustainability, meaning that like I couldn't focus. I wanted to focus on X, Y, and Z, but if I was focusing on ABC, retraining and doing and teaching the next person who just came on board how to do this procedure, it's not scalable, right? My time, right. That's, a, that's a linear exchange of time in perpetuity, which... <laughs> drives me crazy. And so I just knew that like creating the processes and then kind of offloading them to, to a manual or a document, a video, whatever, and creating that, that pathway um, would behoove me to free me up. And so maybe it was created out of selfishness that I, really, I just really wanted to work on other stuff rather than, than the granular stuff that I've trained and taught over and over and over again. So um, yeah, I mean, so that's the systems, I think, just makes the difference. And I don't mean systems like kind of the military, but right. I think systems and culture and everything kind of plays synergistically together, you know? Yeah, yeah. the, the, the idea of systems and processes, people think, well, that's for giant corporations, that's complex uh, 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 enterprise-wide software type of stuff. No, I think we've seen so many dramatic examples of that, of that. one that sticks in my head, as you said, that was the – that, you know, I don't know how long ago it was, 10, 20, 30 years ago, somebody at the University of Michigan put together a procedure to wash your hands before surgery. <laughs> you know, it was like a little three or four steps thing, and their, and their infection rate went, even though they were already doing it, they put together a process mm -hmm. to, to make it, to institutionalize it, and their infection rates went down exponentially, and now yeah. they've been adopted all over the world. Have you, have you read that book, uh, The Checklist Manifesto? No, but I think I've heard about it and that might be in there, but yeah. And that, I think that example is, uh, for sure. And, you know, and, you know, so Chuck, I grew up in, my dad was an airline pilot and ah. I remember, I remember watching, I flew with him on his last flight. I remember being literally being the passenger looking out the window and, you know, he had flown 40 plus years at this point, but I'm looking at him kind of outside walking around looking and then going up in the cockpit and seeing him, uh, this was before, you know, you could actually go up there and seeing him do yeah. his checklists, right? Now, yeah. now he's done this the better part of his entire life. Did he need that checklist? No. Yeah, he didn't need the checklist. But, but, but that kind of stuck in my brain that, holy cow, like no matter how versed you are, no matter how much you think you have it down, checklists and processes and audits of the way you do yeah. is important because in his case, life's depended on it, Right. Yeah. If, if he was having a fight with my mom or something was off or he was having a bad day and he forgot to check, you know, you know, I don't know what button, like I'm not a pilot, but I don't know what button, but you know, it, it is truly a matter of life and death. So, so I, I think the same thing can apply into anything we do and especially into dentistry yeah. and not just checklists, but, but having, you know, the processes and the way that, that the structure of the way the office. And I, and I agree with you that you hear 
people say, well, that's just an enterprise solution, right? Enterprises need that because of their scale. And I, and I tell people that's actually in dentistry, if you want a happy, if you want a happy balance and you want to enjoy your practice, it, 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 you need to have it no matter how big or small your office is. And we actually, I think we actually need it more. I've thought a lot about this over the years and I used to say just that, that, that we need it, but I think we actually need it more because if you got 5,000 people and your company's 40 years old, there's some embedded cultural processes going on that there's a little bit of a safeguard there, but if there's seven of you, and you're running one practice, uh, and, and one of you leaves, or two of you leaves, I mean, you've left, left 15, 20, 30% of your workplace uh, workforce out of position, and you're winging it. Yep. And, and so having those processes in place is even more important for us. I strongly encourage that. I would also say that one of the things we've learned really only in the last 10 years, I've, gone, I've done 12 businesses and eight industries, and I'm a slow learner. Through the first five, I just messed it up royally. But one of the things I learned was that when we're putting together a process, the first thing we should do, I used to just go in and, well, we need a process, and so we'd put together a process. And I finally learned after years and years and years, the first thing we should do is put together the result. And it never dawned on me what, early on, what, what is the result we want from this process of answering the phone and having a new patient call us. What result do we want? Yeah, let's put that's that, interesting. Let's you started with the up. outcome. You started with the desired outcome and it then you kind of reverse from, engineered that. It was actually from reading Stephen Covey's book, Start With The End, you know, Start With The End in Mind was one of his mantras. And I, I, over, the, over another year or two at Percolating, I realized that's what I should do in building a process. Because too often, the process becomes the result. As long as I'm running the process, I'm okay. No, no. Now, if the plane crashes, then going through your checklist was not good. Right. <laughs> we got to make sure that the result is we get people where they need to be safely in, in the right amount of time. So we've really worked hard at helping dentists figure that out. Let's put the result in place first. And it's not we want the phone answered nicely. That's not a result. We want patient acquisition to go from X percent to X percent. We want our revenues to go from whatever to whatever with our profits at, you know, we need specific metrics that we know that when we run this process, it's going to make a difference. And so that's, that's been one of my learnings on this whole thing to add to that whole soup. And I, I agree, you know, and this kind of goes into something that I'm really passionate about is like the goal setting, right? And so what you were kind of saying is if you don't know the goal line, then you don't know where to run, right? And so defining kind of what you expect and your desired primary outcome of all these objectives you know, people need the GPS on how to, how to win, right? They need the scoreboard. And so creating, creating those, like you're saying, like the outcomes is, is, is excellent. Reverse engineering yeah. that. Finally, the Bulletproof Practice Book is out on Amazon. Craig and I have distilled down our experiences in dentistry over the past 20 years in our true to form, unfiltered fashion that y'all have come to expect from our podcast. We talk about our victories and our bruises, and it's 132 pages of vision, leadership, marketing, and even just life as a dentist. And it's meant to entertain you. So we hope you'll support us and grab a copy on Amazon today. Thanks, friends. It's one of the things I saw in your book. And, and uh, again, listening to you talk in some of the seminars, talk a little bit more about goal setting. So there's short term, there's long term, and, and what that has done for your practice, how you see the value of that, and how you might actually help somebody. You know, how do you do that? Let's get practical. Yeah. So my goal setting, so I have a business coach in full disclosure and he really, um, I was a fan of them long before, you know, um, goal setting long before 
and really just being an advocate of Tony Robbins, right? And and yeah. I remember listening to him as a, as a as a child. I tell the story of the, that I used to be stuck at my grandmother used to house sit in Pennsylvania, and the only book I could get on tape was on Tony Robbins. So all summer long, I would just <laughs> listen to this, listen to this Tony Robbins, Unleash the Power, I think it was, or or one, uh, <laughs> anyway. And so I was a. I think early on, it was just brainwashed in me to kind of like love the power of the goal setting. Yeah. I still write them down, Chuck, with my own handwriting. Um, and I break them into different sections of my life, you know, so because everything isn't about financial, everything isn't about family, you know, so I break right. down the important sections in my life. And I and then I go back to what we were just saying, I desire the primary outcome of what I want to see at the end of the year, at the end of, you know, let's call it 2019. I actually do it three years out. And I, and then I kind of reverse engineer. So I say, well, if it's three years out, what do I want to see happen in, in 2020? What do I want to see happen in 2019? But primarily I focus on the ones for this year. And, and then I even break it down month by month. Like what, what would be the success of the goal this month? Not just looking at the goal and saying like, yeah, I want to, I want to make, you know, a zillion dollars this year. Right. And just keep looking at that. But without any action, it's just an act of futility, right? It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not going to do anything to you. So you really have to break it down into granular strips so that you know, all right, by March, I need to have accumulated this or I need Eat to have the achieved elephant this. one bite at a time. One bite at a time. Yeah. And, and so I am a fan of, of the reason I say writing it down and not keeping it on your phone. I feel like that there's something about your, your, your own writing that makes you accountable to yourself. I was going to ask you about that, why you wrote them down, because I've, I've, my daughter is, is a leadership coach, and she's really into this thing called somatic learning, learning with the body. And when we get our body involved in those kinds of things, I think that's part of the, the, the beauty of this. And I've, I've learned from her and from others, when you sign your name to a document, it, it has a chemical response in your brain. And so I think that's, that's great. I hadn't thought about that. I haven't done that myself. I, I'll, I'll have to try that. I'll, I don't know if I can read it or not, but. <laughs> and I think your psychology goes to play a little harder. Like I'll make sure to kind of review them at certain times, you know, sometimes at night even. And I think, and I don't know if this is a, a, a biological hack, so to speak, but I feel like sometimes your, 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 your subconscious can go to work for you a little bit on creative solutions. Um, maybe yes. I'm getting a little woo woo, no, but. No, I don't but think I you are do. at all. I do think that there, there is something because sometimes I will wake up and I will actually have epiphanies on like, holy yep. shit, this has been my block, right? And so I, I'm just a big fan of it because number one, and, and number one, I've seen amazing things happen, happen because of it. And number two, it's created a document for me to look back and be proud and reflect of my life. And then number three, I just think it makes things real exciting for your life. I think, I think it's, um, it gives you a lot of purpose every day when you know you've got an agenda and all these things you need to accomplish i think it just gives a lot of purpose to your life and and depending upon what those goals are right i mean if they're not worthy goals then you're not going to feel right. like you're jumping out of bed for you know for the right purpose but but i you know i'm just a big fan of it and i think it i think if you're not doing that whoever's listening if you're not doing that try it for literally give it 30 days and it will transform you i really truly believe that. Yeah, I'm going to say give it 90 because the research shows that uh, you begin to form the habit in three weeks. And if you're doing it for 90, then you're, you're almost, if you're really doing it, you can, by the end of 90 days, it'll be part of the fabric of who, what, you, what you're doing. Yeah. Be successful, keeping it going for, get, but get that first 30 out of the way. That's exciting. So uh, you, you mentioned the idea of culture. I want to backtrack on that a little bit. Okay. 
culture is always seen as this fuzzy, vague thing we can't measure. And, you know, hey, I'm too busy doing dentistry to work on that woo-woo crap. And so we don't see any purpose to it. And I really believe it's, it's central to practice. And great research is showing that when you pay attention to the human factor, you end up making more money. Give us your perspective on culture. Oh, wow. You know, it's, it's funny. Craig and I get that. I think this is where Craig and I have connected the, the most, you know, he and I connected years ago, actually on online, um, just kind of as a mutual admiration for each other. And I think we, we transparently collaborate on, on enhancing our culture in our offices, right? We do it because we want, we, we genuinely want each other to win. And we have similar sized offices with similar cultures, very high end, high touch, and we're obsessed about bringing value to our patients. And I think as the leaders of our respective practices, our team picks up on that. They, they pick up on the authenticity of that. Um, so culture isn't something that like, okay, here's our motto. Here's our, you know, right. This, so you you know your, here's your our report. vision. Here's our vision. Yeah. We wrote a vision and we put it in a drawer. Like right. I think cultural culture is a living, breathing, breathing act. And every day you get a chance to enhance or decrease your culture. You know, um, real quickly, I memorized this years ago. I found the classic definition of culture and it's really makes sense. The classic definition of culture is a set of norms and values that are strongly held and widely shared. And you know they're strongly held if held if they're widely shared. If people are talking, it's not something in your drawer. So you know, I really appreciate that you're saying that. It just affirms what that's real culture. Yeah, and you know, and and so not to get into the kind of the advertising and culture, but Greg and I also talk about it. They're very intimately entwined. And people say, well, "What are y'all doing for marketing?" And what's the you know looking for the magic bullet? And we both contend that all we try to do in our marketing efforts is amplify the culture in which we have. Right. And I mean that by the fun we're having at work, the, the, the value we're bringing to our patients, like amplifying all of that stuff. You know, we have philanthropy programs that we get aligned with as a team every month that if we hit certain metrics in our in our in our collections that we actually then can write big, big checks. We act, and we actually have those like price of prices, right checks. Um, so that's one way. And and just, you know, creating that culture of of true teamwork and true kind of, you know, being obsessed with, with someone other than yourself at work, you know, cause the people I think are really focused on me, 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 and what's in it for me. And I think that's not, that's not a bad thing, but I think when you can get to a team environment and be really obsessed with the outcome and just being part of the team and the teamwork, I think it's really cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we've only got a few, <clears throat> excuse me, we'll cut that out. Uh, we, we've only got a few minutes left, but I'd like you guys, I'd like you to talk a little bit about your, uh, your summit coming up. You've got a mm-hmm. Bulletproof Practice Summit coming up in October. Yes. Uh, it's a lot of things you, you put in the book, the Bulletproof Practice, but uh, talk about that. You and Dr. Craig and some other folks are throwing and putting this yes. in Atlanta. Yeah, so the summit is going to take place in October 11th and 12th in Atlanta, or maybe it's 12th and 13th. I get confused on, on the, uh, the dates. So let's call it, let's, call, let's earmark it 11th through 13th. Um, at the St. Regis in Atlanta, we, we, it's our first one. We truly did it, Chuck. And this is, this is, if you've ever listened to our podcast or your listeners have ever listened to our podcast, we do it. We don't take sponsors. It's truly the altruism and us wanting to pay it forward and give it back because we've been blessed by so many mentors before us. And the, the summit was really no different. It wasn't, it wasn't, Oh, let's see if we can just have an ego fest and generate a lot of, you know, revenue or whatever. It was truly to leave everything on the table 
to give all the secrets and, and collaboration and the masterminding that we can to the people that attend. And it goes over the four, the four pillars of, of what our book is. And it talks about, you know, all these things we've might've mentioned, the financials and the marketing and the leadership and the vision. And, and those are the four pillars in which we feel makes a practice bulletproof. So we, over a day and a half, are going to really dive deep into a lot of that. We have a lot of interesting speakers and the speakers, we're doing it kind of TED style with the exception of Craig and I, we're not, we're not doing the TED talks, but our speakers only get 20 minutes um, to really bulletproof and lay down their message because we want, we, we want the event to be the fire hose where you can go back Monday morning and literally literally, you know, pin the needle on, on kind of progress in your practice. And we actually give it a 10 X guarantee, which I really want. I was passionate about when Craig and I started talking about this. I said, look, people are going to spend their time and money. And I've been to conferences where I've spent both of those and yeah. I've been more pissed off about the waste of time than it hasn't been a value. Yeah. And so I said, let's give it a 10 X guarantee because I really want people to feel like this is going to be worth their time. And, and the 10 X guarantee is essentially if you don't 10 X the cost of what you spent coming to this conference, then we'll give you your money back because you know, if we didn't create the value, then I sure as heck don't want the reward of your dollars. That's valid. That's the way we ought to do it. So how can people find out about the podcast? Yeah. Bulletproof, they, uh, uh, the, the, the website for the summit is bulletproofsummit.com and the practice is um, the Bulletproof Dental Practice. And it's, you know, it's a podcast on iTunes and such like that. Awesome. Well, cool, man. Well, I'm excited about what you guys are doing. We'll look forward to hearing the update from how the summit went and uh, keep us posted. Keep going. Thanks. Thanks, Chuck. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode. Please rate and review us on iTunes or your favorite podcast source. Check out BulletproofDentalPractice.com for video interviews and text BULLETPROOF to 345-345 to stay connected to us for special announcements. Have a great day.